0: The policeman and the horseman arrived on Friday about supper time. He was resting in an upper room in a small cottage on the edge of town. He could have escaped, but he said to himself, God's will be done. He went down and greeted his captors and called for food and drink for them. He asked them for one favor. He wanted to pray uninterrupted, and they agreed. And he stood in their midst, and he prayed for two solid hours. And when he finished, with tears in the eyes of the hardened soldiers, they asked each other, Why did we come out to arrest such a godly old man? After they had finished eating, they put him on a donkey and took him into town. And word began to spread, the infamous Polycarp had been captured. As he was taken before a city official, the governing official trying to persuade him, asked him or told him, reproach Christ, and I'll set you free. And he answered with the most famous words, the words for which you know him. 86 years. I've served him and he's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? I have wild animals here and I'll throw you to them, the official replied. Call them, Polycarp replied. It's unthinkable for me to repent of good and turn to evil. Now I will readily repent of evil and return to good and righteousness. I will have you burned, the increasingly agitated official responded. You threaten me with fire that burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you're ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. What are you waiting for? Bring on whatever you want. They bound him with his hands behind him and prepared him as a burnt offering. He looked up to heaven and he said, O Lord God Almighty, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs sharing the cup of Christ amen. My assignment this morning is living for Jesus till the end. Now I'm going to ask you for a show of hands. How many of you over 40 years old were baptized as teenagers and you're still walking the walk? You're still trying. Look at that. Look at that. Is that not powerful? It's been a cakewalk, right? You lived through three years ago a time when churches were closed and abortion clinics and liquor stores were running full of blast. You lived through it. You've lived through a time when unthinkable abominations are commonplace. And you're still walking. You're still going. This was not part of my lesson, but I got a good quote from Mike Vestal last night. As long as I live, I want to embrace the wisdom of God. What a good quote that is. You preachers, look for those mustard seeds and uh, pick them out and use them. In the book of James, we have some instruction about how to live for Jesus till the very end you know people who have given up you know people who don't believe in anymore you know people for whom jesus is no longer enough his simple plan of salvation it has to be more complicated than that his simple plan for the church his plan for worship not enough and when jesus is not enough you're going to start searching for some other things And you're going to find things that you need not embrace. But it happens. The Apostle Paul admonished his readers. I thought of this when you raised your hand, by the way. The Apostle Paul admonished his readers in Philippians 3 and verse 12. He said, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. I do not count myself to have apprehended but I forget those things that are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead, and press toward the goal of the pr- goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I love this. We always leave this part out when we quote this. But uh, y'all preachers, don't leave this part out. Listen to it. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Grow up. Be mature, and have in your mind, I'm going to heaven. And I've got one less day to go because I've got one more day behind me. I'm on my way to heaven. And I'm going to do it to the very end. Because, family, if we stop moving forward, there are only two options, right? If you stop moving forward, either you will begin to move back into what you were before, need I say second peter 2 and verse 20 and following you ever seen a dog eat his own vomit when my kids were little they thought that was the coolest thing in the world but when you talk about sin it's not cool it's an ugly thing you're either going to go back and be what you were when you stop moving forward or you're going to stop moving at all and die on the vine John chapter 15 and verses 1 through 6, severed from the vine, you will die. So don't allow yourself to be severed from the, the vine. You can cut a hand off and the hand will die, but the body will keep going. We moved into an old funeral home when I was preaching in Honeyburg, Indiana. We probably have people here who remember this. And uh, the church bought an old funeral home, and it still had junk in it, and we were cleaning the basement out, and one of the members found a leg, a human leg, encased in plastic, cured like a country ham. It looked kind of like country ham, only longer. And uh, it had the man's name and address on it, and it was to be reunited with him at his death, uh, and it had gotten misplaced some way. The man was still alive. His leg was in the basement. You can sever the limb and the body, the trunk, will keep living. Is it Revelation 2 in verse 10 that we misquote all the time when we say, be faithful and just hang on until your death? That's not what it says. It says, be faithful even if you're faced with death. Even when faced with death. And so... In the book of James, I'm going to take one point from each chapter, and we're going to talk about living for Jesus till the very end. The very first thing you have to do is be a persevering Christian. So all the points are going to start with Pete. That's way I was taught to preach. Sorry. James two, or James 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now this word patience here is not just hang around, just waiting. Patiently waiting for your wife to come out of Walmart. Patiently waiting for at the be, on the bench in the mall for your uh, teenage daughter to find all the things for which she is looking. Uh, it's not that kind of patience. This patience is persevering, enduring, continuing to go no matter what. Because notice that with which it is prefaced. Trials and tests. I know you. I know you've had trials and tests. One old preacher told me, Jerry, talk about suffering every now and then because most of them hurt most of the time. Now, I don't know if that that seems like an overly pessimistic statement to me, but I I do know you hurt. And so through those trials and through those tests, you will never be able to continue to move forward until you learn that uh, there is a brighter Path, a brighter place on the other side of that. You will never learn perseverance without trials and temptations, will you? It's a necessary thing. I have no doubt some of you are weary. I noticed an interesting thing during COVID. We had people who were tired of coming to church and starting to miss, and then when we told them they couldn't come, they were chomping at the bits to get back. Isn't that interesting? you weary? Jesus said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. All you tired folks, all you weary folks, go back to Jesus, and walk with him to the very end. Perseverance. Be a persevering Christian. We face challenges like making a difference in the world. We must do that. Uh, you want a, a prime example of somebody that's made a difference in the world? Mark chapter 5, somebody in whose life Jesus made a difference. You can make a difference in somebody's life. Mark 5, there was a guy there named, they called him Legion because he was full of demons. You know the story. He ran around naked and broke bonds, and, and uh, he scared everybody. We would have gotten his autograph and made, put him on television. But they, uh, uh, there, they were afraid of him. They drove his, uh, drove, Jesus drove the demons out, and he was clothed and sitting in his right mind. you think Jesus made a difference in his life? I think he did. He can make a difference in yours, persevere, keep going. We have t- challenges, we have evangelism, developing leaders following the words, enemies with, whom we, uh, with which we must deal, the enemy of ignorance, the enemy of unbelief, the enemy of apathy, the enemy of sin. These, all these things have been in the church since uh, long before I was ever part of the church. I obeyed the gospel August 26, 1966. Yes, we had water. In 1966. And as long as I've been in the church, we have had these same problems. Well, that means you just throw up your hand and forget it. No, no, you're not allowed to do that. We must evaluate opportunities We must face false doctrine, division, extremism, overreaction. We must develop attitudes, good, positive attitudes about God and Jesus and the church and one another and the elders and and good, positive things. If we're going to persevere, point number two, practicing, be a practicing Christian. You know, there are people who have gone all the way through school. I know a couple of guys who have gone all the way through law school and passed the bar and they don't practice law. Isn't that interesting? I know doctors who have gone all the way through med school and could be practicing physicians if they wanted to, but they're not practicing medicine yet. But more tragic than that is a Christian that is no longer practicing Christianity, or a Christian who still shows up every Sunday morning but doesn't practice it out of that. He's only here, uh, gets his shot of religion for the week, gets his hugs, and all those things, and then he, he doesn't matter, It doesn't change his life. He goes back out and just doesn't do anything to help with the church Uh, James 2 and verse 17, you know it, thus faith, also faith by itself. If it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I love it. Listen to James. I'll show you my faith by my works. (laughs) You just watch how I behave. I'm not bragging. You just watch what I do, and you'll say, that's a man of faith. That's what James said. Jerry says, you might not want to watch me all the time. (laughs) because I struggle like everybody else. Watch me and I will show you my faith, James said, by my words. Why? Because he was a practicing Christian. He did what he knew to do. True faith is a working faith. Uh, It sees opportunities and acts upon them. Uh, you can mail cards. You can make phone calls. You can send uh, DVDs to prospects. You can invite people to church. You can do so many things. And Brother Eddie Lawson and I used to do door knocking campaigns together. Now that's an old name from a long time ago. I don't know if you remember Eddie, but uh, I don't even know where he is now. But we did a lot of door knocking campaigns together, and uh, there was an old guy that used to knock doors with us named Bill. And Bill wore himself out knocking doors. He wore out his knees, he wore out his hips, and these were back in the days before everybody could get new ones. And uh, he uh, lived in Denver. And he decided, I can't evangelize anymore, I can't get out, but I'm gonna do something. So he took the Denver phone book. This was, there used to be a time, young people, When we had these things called telephones that sat on a table and were fastened with a wire to the wall, or they were fastened on the wall, and uh, everybody's name was in a book with their phone number, and you could open it up and know how to call. And the Denver phone book would have been this thick. And this old guy named Bill took the Denver phone book, and he started out in the A's, and he called everybody in it and asked them about their soul and he baptized one. His last name started with Z. He went all the way through the Denver phone book before finding somebody interested. Well, you can do that, not with a phone book, but you can contact people. You can talk to people. You can uh, practice this Christianity. The third thing I want to tell you about, if we're going to be living for Jesus to the very end, Be polite Christians. Polite Christians. James five in verse, or James three, sorry, in verse five. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And is set on fire by hell. James three, five through six one great hindrance my dear family sweet family of god i love you so much one of the great hindrances of christians moving forward and living for jesus till he comes back or till the very end is misuse of the tongue misuse of the tongue did you hear what he said to me did you see hear what she said about me Why is it that we feel we have to say negative things? Conflicts in the church rarely arise if members bridle their tongues. And I don't know, it might have been Doug. Doug, I don't remember where I heard this. If this is yours, I'll give you credit, but I don't remember who I got it from. So uh, whoever he is, I appreciate it. You could replace the word tongue here with keyboard. You could say, The keyboard is a little member and boasts great things. What are you talking about, preacher? You know what I'm talking about. You've seen those comments on Facebook. You've seen those things. And man, once you hit that thing, it's gone. It's out in cyberspace forever. See, I've got this bad habit. Not not with Facebook so much. When somebody asks me a question to be answered in writing, I sit down at my computer. And I write a rough draft of my answer. And in that rough draft, I allow my mind to say whatever it wants to. In that rough draft. Then I go back and hone it and take it out and take out the ugly parts and all that. Well, you know what I did one time? I sent the rough draft to the guy accidentally. I think sometimes we send the rough draft to people on purpose be polite. Point number next, be praying Christians. Praying Christians. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. James 4 and 1 verses 1 and 2. No Christian will ever have the power and help necessary to keep living for Jesus to the very end if he or she does not have a healthy prayer life. Amen? You know what a great privilege that is, family? You get to talk to the creator and sustainer of the universe, and he hears you. Hears you. The same one to whom Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, Moses, the same one to whom they spoke. His ear is open to your prayers. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, Peter said, quoting from the Psalms. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. Now, Of all times in history, or in recent history anyway, the elders, the preachers, the members need to be praying. Here are a couple suggestions. Get the church directory, divide it up into so many per day, and look at the faces of everyone. Ours is on I've got I have ours on my phone, and at night I'll open it up sit down in a chair in my bedroom, open it up, and I'll look at the faces of those members, and I'll pray for their individual needs, and I'll go to sleep with their faces in my mind, and I'll see them all night, and I'll think about their needs when I awake. That's one good way. Pray with your family. Let your children know what it's like to pray. Things you might mention, elders, I'm an elder at Rolling Hills Church of Christ, pray for elders, elderly members, nursing home residents, high school and college people, people who are unemployed, churches who are in trouble, governments, Young families raising small children in uncertain times, and the list goes on and on and on. Be praying Christians. Patient, persevering Christians. Practicing Christians. Polite Christians. Praying Christians. Prioritized Christians. James chapter 5 and uh, verses 1 through 6 says, uh, Be careful with your relationship about money. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten and your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Instead, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mould your fields which you kept back by fraud, they cry out and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Uh, you have lived on earth in pleasure... Luxury, and you've fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter, and you've condemned, you've murdered the just. He who does not, he does not uh, resist you. Now, you don't know any church members that have problem managing money, do you? You don't know any church members for whom money is the priority, rather than serving the lord your god and loving him with all your heart soul mind and strength and the second is likened to it love your neighbors yourself Uh, we don't have problems with that do we of course we do we're people and we have trouble prioritizing sometimes chasing that dollar is way more important than living for jesus to the very end then In verses 7 through 11, especially verse 9, he talks about our relationship with brethren. It is important that you have a relationship with brethren. I talked to a friend who was part of a uh, mega church, uh, 15,000 members at one time. And uh, I said, do you know any of those people? And and he said, not many of them. He said, what uh, we have is a whole bunch of people and not many disciples. Now, isn't that interesting? This thing of fellowship and of getting to know one another and loving one another and learning who one another is and uh, how to uh, live together and encourage one another to go to heaven, it should be a priority Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. I'm in James 5. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Joel, seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, then he goes into talking about swearing. But he says, don't grumble against one another. You know, again, I've been in church a long time, and and one of the things that I've always wanted to be able to do and have not been 100% successful in, I've always tried to get brethren to talk to one another instead of about one another. And I've not been totally successful in that. Uh, I'm not totally successful with it in my own life. Did you hear about so-and-so? Be careful. There you go back to that old tongue again. Compassion for the airing is another compartment. If we're compartment analyzing uh, compartment, whatever that word is. If we're uh, uh, putting these things into compartments, another one is. One is our relationship with money. One is our relationship with our brethren. Another is uh, our brothers and sisters with physical illness. Verse 13 Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Psalms, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth. Much prioritized Christians. So we want to be, James tells us, patient Christians, practicing Christians, praying Christians, polite Christians, prioritizing Christians. You know what the first and last thing Jesus ever said to Peter recorded in the scriptures? You Bible scholars know this. Two words follow me. The very first thing he ever said to uh, Peter in uh, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The last thing he said to him in John 21 and verse 19, follow me. Now I am convinced that John 21 was placed where it is to show us some important lessons from the third visit of Jesus to the apostles after his death. Because John, yeah, you remember John ended his gospel in uh, John 20, didn't he? It sure sounded like it. In John 20 and verse 30, truly uh, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. But that's not the end. Chapter 21 comes along and says, I want to tell you about the third time Jesus showed himself to his uh, disciples after his resurrection. You know what he did? First of all, it looks to me as if, and I'll not argue this fact, this uh, point, it looks to me as if they had gotten discouraged and were going back to being fishermen and not preach anymore. That's what it looks like. In verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. It sounds to me as if Peter is saying, and this is, I, I'm interjecting here, I know, I'm putting things in. It sounds to me as if Peter is saying, boy, this preaching thing didn't work out. The Savior's gone, and uh, uh, we're, it hadn't worked out too well for us. Listen, we, we can fish. We can make a living. And so let's just go back to doing that. And then Jesus appeared to him. And you remember in John 21, beginning with verse 15, he asked him a series of questions. Simon, do you love me more than these? If you do, feed my lambs. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then tend my sheep. the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved and said, uh, because he said, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. Look in my heart and see if I love you. You know all things. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. I believe verse 18 is the key to the chapter because what he tells Peter is, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you're younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. Oh, preacher, I'm young and healthy. I'm never going to be to the point that somebody has to dress me and take me someplace where I uh, don't want to go. And I'm never going to be to the point that someone has to feed me or has to care for me like that. When was the last time you were in a nursing home? There's a building full of them. Many of you did that for your parents. God love you. Many of you took care of your parents when you had to dress them and take them from place to place. We were talking the other day about when preachers retire. And I said, well, I've retired three or four times. And I've decided now I promised God as long as I can think and talk. I told my older brother this. He's 73 and I'm 69. And uh, uh, I said, uh, as long as I can think and talk, I think I'll preach. And he said, well, the thinking part's about gone already. Jesus is telling Peter, serve me while you can, because there may be a time when you can't do as much as you have been doing. Live for Jesus while you can. That's what I believe that's what the questions are about. I believe the questions are, Peter, you love me? Yeah, well, get off the fishing boat and get back to preaching. Get back to work. You love me? You know I love you. Well, what are you doing here then? You need to be preaching and saving souls. Now, this, the Peter to whom he's talking uh, with here is the one that went out and wept bitterly after having denied him. Did this strategy work? Did this, the strategy of Jesus coming to Peter and saying, you need to get busy while you can, I think it must have, because when you get over in Acts chapter 2, you see a different Peter, don't you? You see a man who will stand boldly before the Sanhedrin council and say, we ought to obey God rather than men. We cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. That's a different guy than this guy that got discouraged and went back preaching. What made the difference? Jesus. Jesus. Following living for Jesus to the very end. Follow. Don't stand still. Don't stand still. Let me read something to you. The Christian life is a walk, race, fight, war. Those are action words, family. I don't see set in the recliner and watch gun smoke on there anywhere. One of my favorite things to do. I don't see it on there. John 9 and verse 4, work while it's daylight. It's going to get dark. Philippians 2 and verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3, endure. Endure. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, fight the good fight of faith. Warnings about slowing down. Galatians 6 and verse 9. Do not grow weary in well doing. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Be faithful even if it means your death. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because it's not in vain, it's not for nothing. Follow, don't stand still. Number two, follow, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear was the reason for Peter's denial, I think. Luke 22 and verse 54. You know, the interesting thing to me is people get afraid and go away from God when the Bible teaches plainly you're more secure with Him. You're more secure in it. In John chapter 10 and verse 27, I think it is, in John 10, and verses 27 through 29, Jesus said, I know my sheep and they know me, and uh, my Father has them in his hand, and nobody can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Wait a minute, preacher, that sounds remarkably like once saved, always saved. No, that's not what it says. What it says is you can't be, nobody can take your eternal destination of your soul away from you unless you allow it to be taken. Unless you allow it. Nobody's going to snatch me out of my father's hand. Satan's not that powerful. Oh, he can make life tough. When my little girls were little, they're 45 and 48 now. They'll have me telling everybody that. But um, when they were little, we'd be riding along in the car and I'd hear, What? What's going on back there? She made me hit her. She didn't make you hit her. She might have aggravated the daylights out of you and irritated you, and you chose to hit her. Satan can't snatch you out of your father's hand. He can't make you turn your back. Follow. Don't stand still. Follow. Don't be afraid. Follow. Don't get lost in worldliness. Material goods. The Rich young ruler is a good example of that. Domestic duties. Martha, Martha. You're bothered with all this serving. Divided affection. Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go bury my dead first. Let me go uh, check out a field I have purchased. Always something. Preacher, I'll come to church, but I've got to first do this. I have to first do that. I have to first do that. I'll let you come to my house and sit down and study with me. But first, we have to do some other things. Follow. Don't stand still. Follow. Don't be afraid. Follow. Don't get lost in worldliness. Follow. Don't run ahead. Don't run ahead. Nadab and Abihu ran ahead. Leviticus 10. They had a better idea for worship. Peter cut off a man's ear because he was overly anxious and running ahead. Jesus said, that's not how we're going to do this. But the great example, you know it, preachers. All of you know. The great example of running ahead of God is old Jonah. Jonah ran ahead in chapter 4 and went up and sat under that plant thing and uh, uh, when it wilted, he said, well, the sun's on my head. I wish you'd just kill me. And uh, what are you so upset about, Jonah? Well, I knew if I preached to those Ninevites, they'd repent. And here I preached to them, and they repented. Now look what we've got. The enemy is one of us. I went to a place to preach one time, and uh, the guy said, now, don't bring any strangers in here. Uh, we just like it the way it is. I said, well, you hired the wrong guy. Follow." Don't turn aside in unbelief. Hebrews 3 and verse 12, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief. Follow while you have time. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. I want to be in heaven with you. I want to... Be there throughout eternity. And I don't want a single person in this group to miss that. Follow Jesus. Live for Jesus to the very end. When Neil sent me that uh, subject, I I looked for the word bitter end, but it wasn't in there. Live for Jesus to the bitter end. You keep doing this. I was here as a preacher 17 years ago, and I, I see a whole bunch of people who were here then. You're still doing it. You're still walking that walk. You're still talking the talk. You're still living for Jesus. Why? Because you have discovered that there's nothing better, there's no better choice. Thank you for your kind attention.